Jay from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out over Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And we have a special bonus episode of the SNL Nerds for you today. Uh, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you know that we did our last episode on the Netflix movie A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, all about uh, Doug Kenny. And we are very pleased to have the writers and producers of that movie uh, with us to talk all about uh, A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, uh, John Abood and Michael Colton. Thank you very much, guys. Welcome. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Before we started recording, you uh, were nice enough to tell us that you actually heard our episode about the movie. Is that right? Uh, we did. It was uh, uh, entertaining. Uh, and, and we're glad you guys got all the little Easter eggs that went into it. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we, you know what, guys? It's quarantine. If we didn't have time to listen to your episode, that really would have been on us. There's <laughs> zero excuse for not listening to a a full podcast episode on on something that we worked on. Yes, yeah. It's it's a nice uh, ego boost, I would imagine. Right? Sure. Uh, it, it was perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I something I, I found out about you guys just a, a few minutes ago, and I was doing a little research for about you online. You guys are, are both Harvard alum. Correct. Uh, yes, we are. We um, were a couple years apart, uh, and <clears throat> we were both on the lampoon like uh, Doug was, but not at the same time. But, you know, we both, when we were in college, we had heard the story about Doug Kenny, and we always thought it was such a fascinating story. So, you know, cut to uh, 20 years later, when we finally had a chance, uh, we were screenwriters in L.A., we, we've been trying for like 10 years to make this movie. Wow. That is, that is something else. Yeah, the book, uh, Josh Karp's book, A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, came out in 2006, and we started pursuing the movie version really in earnest uh, three years later, 2009, after reaching out to him in 2006. We didn't have the rights to go out and shop it until 2009. Uh, and, you know, it didn't come out until 2018. So it was quite a journey. And is, is that kind of journey, is that like typical in the, in the terms of the length of it? Or was that longer or shorter than normal? Uh, that was definitely on the long end. Um, you know, we've worked on stuff, everything takes forever to get made, but you know, 10 years I think is, is on the long end. Um, and it's funny just how uh, we can tell you a little bit about how it started. We, yeah, John mentioned in 2006, we were sort of texting back and forth about what we wanted our next project to be. And John suggested, you know, what about the Doug Kenny story? We've always thought that was such a fascinating story. And just out of sort of laziness, I was like, you know, I love that story, but we only know a little bit about it. Like, that's the kind of thing you need a book to be written, a biography that you could really base it on. And John went away for a second and then texted me back. There's a biography coming out literally in two weeks. <laughs> so our, our timing was very good. And that was that was Josh Karp's book, which had so much detail that we were like, OK, this now we see how this can be a movie. Wow. That, that is something else. And that's just that's serendipity in action. That's very cool. Yeah. It's incredible. Serendipity followed by more than uh, 12 years of. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I mean, how tough was it to break this as a story? I mean, because as we said in, in our episode about the, the movie, life doesn't really have a three-act structure. So how did you impose that structure onto Doug Kenny's life? Well, to me, the key detail was something that was in articles about Doug's life before Josh's book and in Tony Hendra's book, Going Too Far. Uh, he illustrates this moment really well, which was Henry Beard quitting, which was Henry Beard getting his payout for National Lampoon and then turning to everyone else in the audience and saying, uh, I'm out, goodbye, I'm done, and never talking to most of those guys again. And so we knew that the Doug-Henry relationship was going to be the key. We knew that that was going to be the frame, the bookend of the three acts. But in our earliest drafts and in our earliest ideas about the movie, it was a lot more sprawling. It was going to cover a lot more of the 1970s comedy scene. It was going to cover a lot of the other writers' different works and get more into SNL and get more into the Second City background of a lot of the performers and really capture all that. And over time, especially, unfortunately, in production, you know, late in the process, we're realizing the more we whittled down to that relationship, the better the story became, the more focused it became, and the chemistry between Donald Gleason and Will Forte always popped more than other aspects of the film did. So that initial insight into what the story ought to be proved to be more important than we even thought during the writing of it. Wow, that's, that is very cool. And uh, how, how many drafts did you guys go through? Do you remember? I mean, it, it's a lot. I mean, there were many, many drafts over the years as we were pitching it around town. Um, and then once it went into production in those few weeks for production, that's when you really churn out draft after draft. So I, I couldn't give a number, but um, there are many scenes that got cut. Um, new scenes got added, you know, uh, to John's point about how the movie was really about the Doug and Henry relationship, um, one of the key scenes of the movie, which I know you guys talked about in your podcast, was you know when um, Doug and Henry meet up at a bar toward the end of the movie. And that actually was not in our original script. Um, basically, when Doug and Henry, when Henry leaves the magazine, that was the last we saw them together. And after our initial production and seeing early cuts of the movie, everybody just felt like, we are missing something. We are missing the sort of closure of that relationship. And in talking to the real Henry Beard, we knew that they did meet up in New York from time to time. So we wrote that scene. And then when we did some reshoots um, a few months later, we put that in. And that I think that's when the movie, the storyline really gelled for everybody. That Cool, cool. I didn't know that you did reshoots on it, but I, I guess that's pretty typical for uh, a production of this size, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty standard. I mean, obviously on big studio movies, you always do that. Um, ours was somewhat, you know, lower budget, but it was still built into it. We actually had a sort of a weird schedule where after production, we shut down for a while because David Wayne had a pre-existing um, commitment to shoot a series for Netflix. So we always knew we were going to have this very long shut down. And then when we came back, that allowed us to sort of look at everything with clear eyes. Um, and that's when we had our reshoots. The narration device you use, where you have Martin Mull as the older 
Doug Kenny. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting device. I really dug it. I thought it really kind of kind of held the whole movie t- together. And like, I was just wondering like, who came up with the idea for that. Um, was it like was it like did you get the, did you get were you inspired from other movies or something like that? Or like, I just kind of want to know the process about that. Yeah, the modern Doug narration was not part of our initial conception of the movie. We were originally thinking of it as a fairly straightforward, pretty linear story. And David Wayne, you know, got attached pretty early on, even before we wrote the script to direct it. And he said, you know, there, that's a, a fine version, but, you know, let's try to be more ambitious about it. Let's try to be more formally inventive about it. And a touchstone for us pretty early on in the process was 24-Hour Party People, which is a biopic starring Steve Coogan about mm. the music industry, you know, coming out of Manchester in the 80s. And that is something where there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. The main character, you know, talks to camera. The main, the main character appears in a scene in the movie, turns to camera and says, oh, it didn't really happen like that. There's a lot of really fun, innovative things. It's playing with the biopic form in that movie. And so that led us down the path that ended into with modern Doug. And there were some other crazy ideas along the way that we didn't end up doing. But, you know, for a while we talked about casting this movie like uh, the musical Hamilton, where we would have people that looked absolutely nothing like the real life people playing uh, you know, like, well, why, why not have Mindy Kaling as John Belushi, you know, just like, <laughs> cast, cast completely, you know, gender, ethnicity, neutral, just find people that would be, you know, great and funny and don't care at all about what it looked like. You know, we, we pursued that for a little while, but ultimately settled on something that is used, as you guys mentioned in the podcast, trying to find contemporary comedy people that embodied the spirit of 1970s comedy people and you know that's where some of these you know amazing casting choices came in yeah that was something that i was really impressed by and that's why i'm i tried to make a point of giving the your uh, casting director allison jones a shout out in the podcast because i thought the casting on this movie is was pretty incredible and, and she just found some really cool but really offbeat choices for the movie yeah. i mean and she- how, how did that uh, come about do you have any She's just, uh, I mean, the number one comedy casting director in Hollywood. So when we were able to get her, we were extremely excited. She did the the American version of The Office, you know, a lot of Judd Apatow movies. So she basically is tied into um, everybody. And, and when she read the script, she's like, okay, uh, you know, I got, uh, you know, here's your Belushi. It's John Gemmerling. Like, like she's, you know, she, she very much knew immediately. Uh, and, you know, and then she'd present us with like, three or four Gilda Radners and they're all great. I mean, like um, she, she, she got this on a deep, deep level. Wow. That's, that's very cool. And I guess she was already familiar with the material being like a comedy casting person, right? Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people who, um, you know, knew this world, but I think this is a story like, you have to be a real deep, deep comedy nerd to know all the ins and outs of the Doug Kenny story. I mean, David Wayne, um, you know, Caddyshack and Animal House are like the two big touchstones for him. And he had never heard of Doug Kenny. Like, he, you know, he knew it maybe from a name on a screen, but didn't really know the story. Um, but but there were a lot of people associated with this who had um, 
you know, connections, our costume director, um, I don't remember if she worked on Caddyshack, but she was on, told us she had been on the set. Like, um, you know, there, there were a lot of people with some deep connections to this. Wow. That is, that is really cool. Um, I'm, I'm curious also, like how, how did David Wayne come to be involved? How did he, how did the script find its way to him and, and how long did it take him to decide, okay, this is something I want to do. Uh, that as John mentioned, it, it was very early on that he came on board before we'd even written the script when we were just sort of pitching it. Um, and it was through our manager at the time, um, also managed David and was a producer on it. So he, he got it to David who we knew a little bit, we had met him before. Um, but he, you know, it was a little bit of a stretch for him cause he was known mostly for hard comedy and, and this it was a biopic and it was a little bit out of his wheelhouse, but love the material. And, um, you know, he, he's a writer, but, um, he had a lot of great ideas, but you know, he, he trusted us to sort of carry it through and, and never sort of took it over. But like, like, uh, John said, from the beginning, we talked about movies like 24 hour mm-hmm. party and another one, um, American Splendor was another touchstone in the way that breaks the fourth wall. Mm. Oh yeah. That's, that's a, a great movie. That's another one of my favorites. Um, yeah, and and it's it's interesting in that it's another very offbeat sort of biopic. Um, it, it also kind of reminded me a little of uh, of Ed Wood in that it's it was this story of somebody who is largely unknown and maybe not as heralded as he as he should be, um, but it, but it had a lot of the same feel for it, and I mean I mean in that in, a, in the best possible way. Yeah, I mean. Um... Ed Wood is an interesting comparison um, in that, you know, Ed Wood is someone who slipped into obscurity, uh, but his works were comparably obscure. You know, you really had to be sort of a sci-fi sadist to know and sit through Plan 9 from outer space. Doug Kenny is sort of the opposite. He slipped into obscurity, but his work had an incredible legacy and was hugely influential. So the idea that, you know, there was somebody who, helped change comedy so much, but his name was largely unknown, you know, was really kind of an opportunity we thought. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Are the, is this like something you'd want to continue with where you do more biopics on, on other seventies comedy figures? Like I know there's a biography on Michael O'Donohue and you mentioned that Tony Hendra had a book. It seems like you could, spin this out into uh into other projects yeah well there was definitely some discussion about you know does this want to be a limited series instead of a movie uh and like i mentioned before there there were outlines and versions that were a lot more sprawling and frankly a little less focused there were versions that dealt a lot more with snl and some of the other spinoff projects that came from National Lampoon that got into some of the prehistory of the uh, famous actors and performers that were involved with National Lampoon and and Second City. Uh, Ultimately, I think, you know, this movie landed where it wanted to land in terms of being a fairly focused uh, story, uh, you know, a real kind of classic biopic in terms of focusing on one person's life. Um, I mean, I would love to see more of um, uh, 
you know, uh, Tom Lennon playing Michael O'Donoghue. I think he enjoyed mm-hmm. playing Michael O'Donoghue. Um, honestly, I think there could be a whole movie on Anne Beats and her career. Uh, sure. You, know, you you could you could certainly follow her through line um, through SNL and beyond into into SNL, National Lampoon, uh, and everything that she did subsequently. Uh, but we're we're done, I think, with this world. I think we've we've gotten that bug, you know, we we've got that out of our system. Uh, uh-huh. But there's so much you could dive into, and so much more you could cover. I mean, yeah. Doug Kenny, when you have someone who dies young, that that gives you a uh, a template for a biopic. So it made sense to focus it to to that. Sure, sure, yeah. And uh, have you happened to hear back from any of the people who were portrayed? Uh, in this movie, who are still with us? Um, a little, not that much. I mean, I know um, uh, Michael O'Keefe really liked it. Uh, it's funny. Um, he, uh, he, Mike O'Keefe, star of Caddyshack, uh, mm-hmm. who actually we, you know, we have an actor portraying him. I don't think he has lines, but in the in the Caddyshack reenactment, it's funny. On a, we worked on a TV show where he was a guest star while we were writing the movie, so he was like the first person we interviewed. Um, but you know, we haven't we haven't heard that much for the National Lampoon people. I think they're you know, <laughs> everybody has their own. I know there were some competing projects. Some people wanted to do their own version of um, a National Lampoon story. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if, if there was some step toes there, toe stepped on there. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think who else we've heard from directly. I don't know if there is anyone. We saw a lot of tweet activity at the time when it came mm-hmm. out. Um, I think that, unfortunately, you know, you guys know the extent of the artistic license that we had to take in order to fit it down into a movie. You guys talked about the big scroll. We talked about mm-hmm. it. And, and believe me, every single one of those things on the scroll was painful to do. <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know, Rob Hoffman, the third founder of National Lampoon was someone that I knew for many years in, in real life. And so cutting him from the story, like physically hurt. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was painful to, to have to do that. So I'm sure that the people that were there either avoided the movie or if they uh, saw it, you know, threw their hands up in outrage at, at some of the choices. And, and uh, I apologize profusely to everyone who we may have, you know, whose, whose, whose feelings we hurt or who we didn't uh, portray the way they hoped to be portrayed. Um, we, we, we know, we know it's, we know, (laughs) we know it's, we knew, we know we were making mistakes and we tried to be very upfront about that. Yeah. The closer you are to that world, you know, it's probably harder to see it on screen because no matter how much research we do and, and how, how, uh, you know, the set decoration is, is accurate. Um, it's still, you know, it is an approximation of what happened because we were not there. So it's, it's the best we could do. But I'm sure it's hard if you were actually in those situations and thinking, well, that's not how it happened. Right, right. I mean, even even if it comes down to something on the level of, well, I would never wear that shirt. <laughs> oh, that happened. That happened, Mike. We, we heard, remember that? We heard from a friend uh, who was met with John Landis or had dinner with John Landis. And... Uh, they were, this is while we were in production and he showed John Landis, um, I guess a still of the actor who was portraying him 
and John Landis said something about it, like, oh, I, I would never have worn that jacket. And well, literally, <laughs> wow. it was based, it was, but it was literally based on photos from the set of Animal House where John Landis was wearing that jacket. <laughs> and That's so crazy. We texted, we texted the picture. We texted the reference picture to the person that was having dinner with Landis at the time and said, aha, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> You, you saved the receipts. I love it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, I, we also saw that you guys make a special appearance in the movie, too, as the uh, art directors. We do. I mean, a lot of people say that's the best part of the movie, at least acting-wise. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was uh, David Wayne like had, said, had said, you know, if, if there's any tiny roles you guys want to take, um, feel free. And uh, we thought that was a good one because we got to put on funny wigs and costumes and didn't really have any lines, but got to, you know, sit in our office and pretend to smoke out of a hookah. Um, <laughs> David actually had a small role, too, and he cut himself out. Really? Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So when you meet Tony Hendra and he's performing on the Ed Sullivan show, uh-huh. um, he uh, walks out and he, like, uh, punches uh, the next guy who's the next guest on the show who was uh topo gigio i think it was like this puppeteer oh sure and uh david was playing him and uh it was very funny but we all uh, he ultimately decided that he wanted to cut out of that scene earlier so so he did not make he, he left himself on the cutting room floor wow you know i i didn't notice until uh this last rewatch that uh carrie kenny was in that scene his old uh, cohort from the state yeah she again right. that had a little bit more to do in the uh, first cut and she was great. And it just became wanting to move through that montage where you meet all the writers as quickly as possible. So that David had to cut a lot out of that. Sure. Sure. And uh, you actually do have a, a cameo from someone who was, who was there. You have Martha uh, Smith from animal house playing, reprising her role basically as, as Babs Jensen as a universal tour guide. That's yeah. Right. That, um, we have to credit, I believe it was our first assistant director uh, named Trailer, who jo- John and I wrote that scene where there's a tour guide in Universal because we had that whole scene where Doug is editing Caddyshack on, on the lot. And when we were in pre-production and we were casting, our first AD said, you guys should get, um, what's her name, Martha Smith? I mean, you should get Martha Smith yeah. for that role. You play Babs. And John and I, we had completely overlooked that. We, I mean, once he said it, we remembered that she, at the end of the movie, her character becomes a universal tour guide. But when we were writing, we had totally missed that. Um, so it was his idea, and we tracked her down. And she, I think, was a is now a real estate agent. And mm-hmm. we, we asked her if she would come do this, and she loved the idea. And she came to set with all these photos, like, you know, physical photos, snapshots from the set of Animal House, all these photos we'd never seen of Doug Kenny. And it was amazing. It was one of the best days of production. Wow. That is that is really cool, and that's that's cool that she was so enthusiastic about it and shared that with you guys. Yeah, and I mean that that was such a kick. That was she was someone I recognized on my first viewing. I was like, yeah. hey, it's bad. Oh, good, yeah. good, that's awesome. Yeah, and you also had uh, Nita Meyer in it too. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember how that came about or whose idea it was. Um, but I think he lives, I want to say, in Montana or somewhere like that. And is sort of semi-retired, but um, we reached out to him for this, and he liked the idea and had fond memories of Doug, so he was into it. That's very cool. And and you you gave him the line, "What are you going to do with your life?" Too, which was just yeah. that, that's a great end joke. <laughs> yeah, 
not part of the Animal House universe, but we thought it was a, a fun little thing because it fit with the character. Right, right. Yeah. I, I guess I guess it would be too tough to have him say you are all worthless and weak. So <laughs> we, we find a place for that. <laughs> and um, you mentioned that there were some deleted scenes. I mean, are are there any scenes that just broke your heart to to cut that you wish were still in there or could still see the light of day somehow? Well, well, I don't think any that will ever see the light of day. But I think the one that we really loved and was painful to cut was uh, Ann Beats quitting uh, National Lampoon. She gave this incredible speech that was pulled from pieces that she wrote in the magazine and it broke the fourth wall and it, she turned to camera and uh, at one point she ranted about the movie um, not passing the Bechdel test. And <laughs> it was, it was just this meta tour de force because she wrote some scathing stuff in the magazine about how it was a boys club and how they were all nerds and they were, you know, just lousy people. And it was great. And seeing Natasha deliver that was a joy. Uh, but again, like we were mentioning before, just every time we broadened the scope too far I, and we did test screenings with that scene, People just started to lose focus, and I think mm. the movie started to started to drag. But that was that was a hugely painful cut, just because it was it was executed so beautifully by Natasha and and David and everyone. Yeah, we also had a whole different opening that we when we did reshoots, we changed the opening around for the better. I mean, I think the new opening works works great, but it, it used to be a little more complicated where you start with modern Doug Martin Mull in a taxi cab talking about himself. And then he goes to the location of the old National Lampoon offices, which is now like a young, it was like a social media thing. And, and he has this great interaction with this uh, woman played by Milena Weintraub, who's a great comic actress. Um, Love her. She's yeah. great. And then, then it jumps from there to the set of Animal House. And it worked really well in the script, but sometimes what works well in the script, once you get it up on its feet, it's just a little hard to follow. So we did some rewriting and, and came up with a new intro, which uh, where you, you immediately go back to Harvard days, and that seemed to work better. And you wow. guys mentioned you guys mentioned the line, uh, the current line. Modern Doug says, "Let's start at Harvard. That's where the fun stuff was. That used to be. Let's go. You know, let's just go where the you know you want to see the fun stuff, not this funeral. Let's go do the. So that's even more complicated. It was funeral, then Doug in a cab." then The Office, then Animal House. I mean, we were really jumping all over the place. But the whole movie opened with Animal House, so you were meeting Doug Kenny as Stork, talking to Chris Miller, and then it was flashing back to starting the magazine. Like, it, it was, in retrospect, very convoluted, uh, mm -hmm. but but very ambitious, and, and everything that they shot was really, really funny. It just did not hold together. Well, I will also say it's a bit of a screenwriter trick because – we put that in the original script, partly because, you know, often people don't read past page 10 in a script if they're not grabbed. And there's like, OK, we're writing a movie about Doug Kenny. No one knows who Doug Kenny is. Well, we need to get some Animal House stuff in there first in the first. Right. So whoever's reading it is like, oh, wow, I don't know the story. I want to. Uh, but I like Animal House. So that's that's part of why we did that. But once you actually make the movie and, and someone sits down to watch it, you don't necessarily have to grab them by the collar and shake them in the first five minutes and say, this movie's about animal house. 
So we realized we could sort of um, ease off the gas a bit. It was um, really a trick. It was sort of a trick to justify this movie's existence <laughs> as a script. And then well once, once you actually, once you sell it and you're like, all right, now we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Um, now, was this already at Netflix by the time you started shooting it? Or did you shoot it and then have to shop it around to different venues and it ultimately landed at Netflix? How did that work? Uh, it was sold to Netflix before we shot it. It was always going to be a Netflix movie. We, we had shopped it around as a pitch. Then we didn't sell it as a pitch. A lot of places didn't want to pay for the rights to the book without a script. So we wrote it and then the package was coming together and Netflix emerged as a very strong contender for it because Ted Sarandos loves comedy. I mean, he is a big driving force behind why Netflix's comedy department is as strong as it is. It's a priority for him. And so in fact, when we pitched the movie, we brought this whole crate of research material, back issues, photos, National Lampoon ephemera that we had collected and we were laying things out on the table. And he was familiar with pretty much all of the things that we had brought and, and owned many of them and looked at some things like, oh, I'm going to go on eBay and look for that later. Like he knows this world and is a fan of this world. So uh, yeah, when, when, once, once they signed on that, that was the key to getting it into production. Oh, that, that is very cool. It sounds like you totally found the right audience there. Yeah. Did you do a lot of additional research beyond the uh, original book? You, you mentioned that you'd interviewed uh, Michael O'Keefe when you uh, were working with him on something else. Yeah, we, we did a little bit. I mean, we did, I mean, tremendous research of books. I mean, not only Josh Karp's book, but Tony Hendra's book, Maddie Simmons had two memoirs, um, mm -hmm the Michael O'Donohue book, like basically any book written about comedy in the seventies we had read plus right. looking at all the old national lampoons plus tracking down some of the very, uh, rare, um, occurrences where Doug Kenny was in front of the camera other than animal house. There were like two or three, um, in terms of, of interviews, we did a few, um, some of them were closer to production where we just wanted to, to make sure we had everything right. We had a great talk with Henry beard, uh, with David Wayne on it as well. That's where we found out that, that he met up with Doug in New York after he left, Henry had left the magazine. Um, wow. We had some good interviews from some other National Lampoon people like Brian McConaughey and um, Rick Meyerowitz. Uh, some people didn't want to talk. Like we reached out to Ann Beats and, you know, she was, she had seen Doug die. She had seen Michael Donahue die. I think she was just didn't want to talk about it, um, but she did have uh, get together with Natasha Leone when she was cast. So she um, had some time with her, but we never really had a chance to talk to her. Um, trying to think who else. PG O'Rourke we emailed with, but um, never had a chance to talk to. Um, and Bill Murray, of course, is unreachable. So that was yeah. Really he reaches you. You don't reach him. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> if Bill Murray can find you, he will find you. <laughs> and Maddie chatted with uh, Matt Walsh. Right. And okay. They had a, they had a really good conversation. Of course, died just last week. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're very sorry to, to see that. And we already had our episode in the works, and it was just this, this eerie coincidence. 
So yeah, we were we were sorry to hear that. Yeah, he um and, he actually his daughter Kate is in the movie. Yeah. Oh really? Where's that? She plays uh, one. You know, the party in L.A. where uh, Doug and and um, Catherine have their big fight with. Yeah. So she's one of the party goers. Um, she may have a line like that scene where she's he's uh, flirting with the other girl. Like she's mm-hmm. right. Next, she's right next to that that woman. Um, I oh, she, okay. I think she has a, a line or two. Um, yeah. But yeah, Maddie, such an interesting career. I mean, even before. National Lampoon. He was like one of the creators of the first credit card when he worked. Oh, at, wow! He worked at Diners Club in in uh, like promotions and helped develop this this credit card, which was the first credit card. Then ran Weight Watchers magazine. Then uh, then National Lampoon. Whoa, that is an interesting career. That's <laughs> wow. You, you, you could get a good biopic out of him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and have a whole like SNL you know. universe. Yeah. Yeah. Then going on to produce movies and everything like it, it's uh, he, he was able to change gears many times in his life. And he's just one of those people that always kind of was what's that phrase, you know, skating to where the puck was going to be like he sort of saw where trends were going and was able to take advantage of those. And I was just very, very canny guy. Yeah, that's that's a, a great uh, skill to have. Great insight to have. Well, I think, yeah, I think this has been really cool, guys. This has been so much fun. Um, why don't you tell people like where they can find you, where they can follow you on social media, and what you might be working on now that you can talk about? Sure. Um, well, on Twitter, I am, God, what am I? Mike Colton, I think. Uh, and John is Jay Abood. Um, and the next thing we have going, uh, we produced a new adult animated show that's going to launch on HBO Max, the new service. Um, we don't have a date yet, but probably sometime this summer. And it's uh, created by this guy, J.G. Quintel, who created a regular show on Cartoon Network, which ran for many years. And this is okay. his this is his first uh, adult animated show. And we sort of ran the writer's room. Um, and it's very funny. Um, and... Then we've just got some other projects, but nothing uh, coming to fruition just yet. Well, that is very cool. We will keep an eye out for that. And uh, But oh, thank you again so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Thanks. This, this has been awesome. The name of the show is close enough. I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the name. That, that is a good promotion. thing. To uh, yeah. Master of promotion. Always be closing. So yeah. close enough on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, and it's dropping maybe sometime this summer, but you're, you're not certain yet. Uh, that's my guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that all sorts of schedules have been thrown into a tizzy with uh, the the world we're living in today. Definitely, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is this has been so cool. We really appreciate uh, you guys responding uh, to our to our tweets and uh, and taking the time to do this. And, and we're immensely flattered that you listened to the podcast. So that's very cool. Thank you. And you know, this is a thanks for doing it. A fun project to write, and it was it's a fun project to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Darren, do you have anything else? No, I'm, we, uh, I'm I'm good, my friend. This has been awesome. Thanks, thanks so much, guys. No yeah. Problem. Once oh, again, thank you thank to you. our two thank guests, uh, John Abood and uh, Michael Colton, writers and producers of A Feudal and Stupid Gesture.
So um, we are going to be back for a regular episode on uh, next Monday, and we're going to be talking about the third and final SNL at home, and it's going to be the final episode of season 45. So please uh, stay tuned for that. And until then, nerds out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.